other words, they told me that they were suspending me under clause 9.1. Comes to managing the family's budget to ensure financial stability amid rising costs of everyday living. Now, to tell us more about family finance. In today's world, listeners are complex and multidimensional, and it's a little cumbersome to toggle back and forth from channel to channel trying to get your fix. We feel your podcast should be just as diverse as you. Welcome to Fred Talks, where the topics are as layered and multifaceted as you are, with a dash of inspiration and a little bit of an edge. What up? Welcome to another episode of Fred Talks, the catalyst for crucial conversations for the culture. I'm your host, Fred B. And listen, I know we left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger a few days ago, but today we pick up where we left off in the conversation with my guy, the scholar, the soldier, the rogue veteran, my man, Michael Gonzalez. So we continue talking about faith, community service, military service, service to our uh, our fellow man, brotherly love. We even explore, uh, you know, false or toxic masculinity. And we contrast that. We juxtapose that with uh, genuine, uh, authentic masculinity, healthy masculinity. And we even talk about the impact it has on women, men and even little boys and girls that are under our tutelage, you know, our children um, and much more in this episode right after these ground rules. This probably doesn't need to be said, but of course, we're going to say it anyway. The views and opinions expressed on Fred Talks podcast are not to be misconstrued as professional advice, counsel, gospel, a personal attack, law, guarantees, a substitution for hardware, a one-size-fits-all formula for every scenario, or any type of promise. It's a podcast, y'all. Come on. You know you need to consult a credentialed professional before making a hasty or significant change with your life. Don't you? Don't you? Of course you do. Now, be encouraged by the show. Be entertained by the show. Be challenged to cross-examine some of your long-held beliefs. Note, the host and his guests have strong views held loosely. Being committed to lifelong learning means that their perspectives may change in light of information. That's not contradiction. That's evolution. So please, don't come for us. Unless we send for you. Now that we have an understanding, let's get back to today's episode of Bread Talks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so check this out. Um, you're saying some things that are, uh, uh, you usually challenge me on some of the things you're saying. You, it's kind of like a check. It's like holding up a mirror. Um, and I got to sit with it. And sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm good. And sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, that's the area I need to think more deeply on. Um, two things so far. One, you said um, just about your uh, being conflicted in the military, you know, mm-hmm. um, nonviolent in a war, war zone, which is, an oxymoron. I'm not there yet, man. Probably one of the most offensive things about the Jesus way uh, mm-hmm. or the biggest stumbling block for me is this nonviolent thing. Um, yeah. While I'm not, you know, man, I don't, you know, I don't get off on going to war. Like I, I know it's money in war. You know, I don't agree with dropping bombs. Uh, I, I, I'm not pro war at all. But on the micro level, like like the people who uh, would make arguments of, you know, just protecting my home. Because, you know, one of the misconceptions about being nonviolent is that you're passive. And that okay. if somebody, like, was to, like, try to snatch my son, then I'm just going to mm-hmm. be like, you know, here, take another, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> take your cloak, give him another cloak. Okay, you want one of my yeah. kids, here, take another one. 
Um, yeah. No. Um, like without getting technical, and I'm not, um, not I'm not smart enough to like remember the actual Greek wording, but like even when Jesus talks about like do not resist an evil one, um, in mm-hmm. the language itself, it's not it's don't resist an evil uh, an evil one violently, um, and so it's not that we don't resist violence. It's just mm-hmm. that we choose to resist it nonviolently. Um, and so okay. I would definitely, like, if somebody was to break into my house, I'm definitely going downstairs and I'm going to, like, and so then we have to defi- defend, like, define what violence is. Um, because if a doctor cuts open somebody doing surgery, it obviously creates a wound, but he's not committing violence um, on mm-hmm. a person. Okay. And so for okay. me, like, tackling, some, tackling someone, um, grabbing someone, honestly, even punching someone or kicking someone in order to, like, incapacitate them um, is not, I wouldn't define that as violence. As long as violence is on the table, like, our, our imagination, our way of imagining a different way of being human is, is, mm-hmm. um, is, um, is, is cut short. Because, you know, like, the, you know, the classic scenario, somebody comes in your house and they got a gun, and, it, like, the way that, that narrative is told, it almost assumes, like, there's only two options either kill or be killed that person's like a robot who's just hell-bent on killing you and like we don't even know that right like we don't so, we don't really know that do we want to find out though? can you understand people's impatience with us especially oh uh, absolutely absolutely <laughs> okay okay absolutely yeah. yeah so i don't i don't look down on people who are wrestling with that um because uh-huh. i don't think that's an easy thing um i don't think that's an easy thing um so yeah Christians have, I mean, as long as Christians have, have, have like promoted that as Jesus teaching, there's always like, at least in some way been on the back end where Christians are like, no, there's no, there's just war or whatever. And so like, I, I respect that as being under the big tent umbrella of the Christian teaching. And that at, at the very least, we can all agree that the least amount of violence is what we're, we're looking for. Right. Yeah. And, but what I, what I find in, but most popular, like in the churches, is like, like church demographic is that we're more pro-war than almost anyone else. Um, well, like there, I remember there was that, there was. Oh, go ahead. Do you attribute that to um, people's interpretation of the Old Testament? It seems like well, God is a God of war, especially in the Old Testament. So that sanctions are yeah, I think of, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. there's that, but I, I think there's like a, a fusion of, of nationalism with the Christian faith. Okay, so right before we took the break, you were, um, man, you were, you, were, you were revving up to talk about nationalism, the churches, uh, uh, not the, I'm, when I say the church, I'm using generalizations. I know it's not every church, but uh, the, the, seeming, uh, the seemingly lust, lusting for war, or at least the approval of war. Unpack that. Mm-hmm. What, what, what relationship should we have with nationalism? And can you even define nationalism for some of our listeners who are kind of getting caught up to speed? Uh, what's the contradistinction between nationalism, patriotism, and how do they relate or should they relate with Christianity? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think so. Those words are relative because it depends on the, the person, right? So, like, there's a, there's a type of patriotism where, um, you know, it's like this assumption that America, America's first, like we're number one, we're like, we're God's people. Um, and I think that patriotism for, for followers of Jesus should be rejected wholesale. Um, okay. And then there's like the, the type of patriotism 
where someone has like a general love for their country, like, you know, a theology of place where it's like, this is where I live. This is where, Mm -hmm. you know, memories have been made for me. Like, and so I, I want to live here. Um, And, you know, it's kind of like for me, um, I'm not really like gung ho America, except for during the Olympics. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) yo, we going in right now. Right. Like, yeah. And so, and so like, obviously there's like this, there's this like tension that we have to navigate. Um, But we have to be honest, like for a lot of people, it goes beyond just this general like love for where they live to where like, like America is priority. Like we are preeminent. I mean, like when we think of Romans 13, we think it's talking about us. And it's like, we're the, we're, we're God's tool to like deal with injustice in the world while just completely ignoring our own injustice historically and presently. And that's, that's typically what you find in a lot of churches is, is that, that type of posture. I mean, the, a church now, that I was a part of. Oh, good. Let me ask you to scale back real quick because I, I want to be mindful yeah, yeah. of listeners who uh, you give in chapter and verse, <clears throat> excuse me, but they may not go into yeah. the work. So Romans 13, what's the, what's the gist of Romans 13 that you just uh, mentioned? Ah, uh, yeah. So, so Romans 13, um, Paul is writing a letter to the Roman uh Christians who live in Rome, and mm-hmm. that is where uh, Caesar uh, lives. That's where the the Caesar lives, and he's actually um, you know writing to this small community, and he's actually letting them know that God uses uh, not to take vengeance on themselves. So he, before they begin talking about what we were just mentioning about loving your enemy, overcoming with evil, he says, "Don't take vengeance on yourself. Uh, leave room for God's judgment." And then he actually says that God actually utilizes um, the empire in some way to bring judgment on, on evildoers. Um, and that's a very complicated passage. I don't, we don't have enough time to go into all the implications of what that could mean. But, yeah, so Romans 13 basically kind of highlights that, that God in some way uses the empire to, to judge evildoers. Um, but America, the way we kind of talk about it is, like, we are God's tool for like judgment on like terrorism and stuff like that. But we would never allow other countries to interpret mm-hmm. Romans 13 to like be on us for mm-hmm. our, the terrorism mm-hmm. that America perpetuates like daily, continually since its conception, right? Like yeah. if anyone deserves that, it's America. And so like when our patriotism allows us to see ourselves in this high, this good light, and everyone else, like, as less than, then I think it's, it's toxic. And I think as followers of Jesus, we should always be skeptical of powerful empires who, who oh. use the types of things that Jesus was tempted with, with, like, power and possessions um, that dominate yeah. and domineer. Like, those are the things that Jesus constantly rejected. Like, our country mm-hmm. is built on that. And so for us to give, like, some kind of allegiance to it, we should really, uh, we should be careful to be careful. So we're already out here, right? I mean, thank God you're answering these questions. <laughs> and so when they send the mail, when they send the tweet, we're going to make sure that you <laughs> give them your Twitter handle, right? But since I already yeah, they you out that. here, man. All right. <laughs> um, and you're talking about, you know, Jesus um, and how he would relate to the empire, what his priorities would be, nationalism, mm-hmm. patriotism. We can't talk about that without really bringing I mean, you know, the climate that we're in right now, um, and it yeah. still hasn't even gone away, the whole issue with Colin Kaepernick and, you know, how yeah. the narrative has been hijacked, you know, to where 
you know, they're making it sound like he's being disrespectful to the flag. And then Christians are actually like assailing him and condemning him mm-hmm. as if Jesus would have been doing the same. As if there's yeah. not biblical documentation of the three Hebrew boys refusing to bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Like, would you say that's pretty much the same thing in principle? I mean, could we see Paul condemning folks like, wait, how, how come y'all not standing pledging your allegiance? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I feel like, and that's, so going back again, um, Christians, like the Christian faith in America, at least in some general way, has been almost like married to um, like this this allegiance to America, like allegiance to American Christianity is like woven together. And so to criticize America or criticize the Christian faith, like they're overlapping and, and interlocking. Mm-hmm. And we're so used to being in, we're so used to being in power and benefiting from the power of the, like, of the government. So, like, to criticize that, we're like, no, 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 don't criticize them. Like, yeah. and so we've, re- we've really lost, like, our, our, like, who we really are and, and the, the power that we have had historically, which is why yeah. the fact that because we're starting to lose it, you see Christians are very anxious and they're, they're fearful, and that's why they're, like, voting for particular individuals who they think mm-hmm. can, like, regain their power and they're like, oh, they're taking, uh, you know, the 10 commandments out of schools and they're taking prayer and like, and so like they're, they're in love with power essentially. Um, and you know and what, guys man, like Colin, oh yeah, go ahead. If, if you're able to remove prayer from school, then it should be removed. And what I yeah. mean by that before somebody hijacks that and runs it, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not something that, that is, that is required to be done formally. You know, like, it's not like yeah. you have to congregate and all recite a prayer. So if you're able to take yeah. it away, then it didn't have any substance to begin with. And to be honest yeah. with you, like, it's not just the government trying to take the Ten Commandments out of school. Uh, I would argue that God is not even trying to put the Ten Commandments back in the school. I mean, what good was the cross if the Ten Commandments were able to accomplish whatever we're trying, yeah. whatever type of uh, temperance we're trying to accomplish, you know? So, yeah. you know, that's, that's just an old argument, man. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, and, we're and, you used know, to being in power, about, man. When you talk about power, here's the irony. On our money, we say, in God we trust. There's a scripture yeah. that comes to mind as you're talking that says, uh, some trust in chariots and horses, but we or I will trust in the name of God or the name of the Lord. But mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is America doesn't trust in the name of the Lord. They trust in their military. No. military. They trust in their horses absolutely. and chariots. I mean, yeah, when absolutely. you look at how ubiquitous our military presence is, come on, mm-hmm. that's evidence of, of who we're really trusting. Yeah, so, yeah. You invest where your money is is where your heart is. Like, mm-hmm. we are willing to cut from schools. We're willing to mm-hmm. cut from health care. We're willing to, like, um, cut corners when it comes to food um, yeah. and allow these organizations to put all types of stuff in the food. But we will not – and we'll actually cut money from the actual soldiers themselves, right? We'll, so we'll actually cut their – like, the raise that they get. I remember when I first started, we were getting a 3.8% raise every year. And it went down mm-hmm. to like 0.9, um, but okay. we won't we won't limit funding for the actual military itself with the weapons and the and the jets that don't work, the F-35s that we've been struggling to get to work, spending billions of dollars. Like we're not going to cut that because yeah. that's where our treasure, that's where our that's where our security, that's where our identity, 
that's where like for us power over people like that's how we rule is through mm-hmm. military might i mean we have bases literally everywhere like right. everywhere I, I just read an article because all we hear about is like what's happening in the middle east and we have we have more operations happening in africa than in the middle east but it's just not mm-hmm. it's just not part of the story that you know we we care to mm-hmm. tell and mm-hmm. you know when i was in the military i began like learning these things and i'm just like yo like this is a problem yeah but because yeah. we're so used to being in power because if we actually criticize it we have to recognize that look our comfort is built on that yeah right yeah. The, the fact that we have all this stuff is built on the oppression of other countries and so mm-hmm. how how much are we willing to criticize you know or not so let me um let's talk about so let's talk about this then um you talked about uh the benefit how, how the church has personally benefited you right i mean just how it's allowed you to be carried through some very lean times and uh, how god has you know you, you've seen the grace of god manifested through the church community right and yeah. uh, i've seen some of your posts where you're just you know, you're elated. Like you, you found a, a church where you feel fulfilled. You're connecting with the people. Uh, you admit that, you know, no church is perfect, but man, there's a lot of things this particular church does, right? Et cetera, et cetera. But you also said earlier that you understand that the church in general is getting a lot of criticism hurled at it. You know, a lot of it is because they're, um, they're rigid or they're not willing to adapt to, you know, some of the demands or some of the needs of this generation, et cetera, et cetera. So let's talk about, um, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to ask you before you answer to define church. Uh, there's, there's two ideas that come to my mind when I think of it. And sometimes I think because people use them interchangeably, the whole conversation gets lost. But when we talk about the church, tell us your definition when you answer. But then is there valid critique and valid praise for the church and, uh, and what is it? So what is the church in okay. your mind, and what is the valid phrase, valid critique? Yeah. Um, so, man, I could write a whole book on what the church <laughs> is, but, um, like, and as a summary, the church um, is the people of God. Um, it's it's a it's a gathering of people who have given allegiance to to Jesus, who we believe God has raised from the dead and declared king. Um, and we're committed to be to being with him, um, to be mm-hmm. to being like him, to becoming like him, and actually joining in what he's doing in the world to bring healing and, and restoration to all of creation. So that's that's the church. Okay. okay. But yeah. See, so I'm with you on that. Uh, but there's another definition that people uh, cleave to. Would you agree that? People sometimes confuse the two. They confuse the, the people with the building or the individuals, the collective of individuals with the institution. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, that's why if I was to expand, because I do think, I think it's a people. Um, I don't think it's a building. Um, but I do think that there is an institution nature nature. Where it's not mm-hmm. like you can't just make this like we're not just making stuff up, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a there's a tradition, even if it's wide and it's deep. But there is like I'm like the faith is something I've received. Like I always okay. tell people, and they're always confused. I say I didn't become a follower of Jesus because of an inductive Bible study. 
Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't read the Bible and then convinced that Jesus like was raised from the dead because I read the Bible, but because mm-hmm. one sense there's a, there was a people who, who nurtured me. And then I had an actual encounter with Jesus, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, the scriptures testify of what Jesus has been doing um, in his church. And so I, I do think that there's, there's a reality that there, it be, it's more than just like your little community. Um, mm-hmm. We're only here because of what came before us. So we have to, mm-hmm. we have to um, honor our ancestors. We have to honor our, our, the fathers and the mothers that came before us. And we're, we're extending um, the faith that we've received into the present. You know, the faith of the ancient faith, we're extending it further into the present and learning how to contextualize it and to flesh it out in new ways. Um, so I do mm-hmm. think that, but I guess I don't know how to navigate it in a total sense because there's a lot of different people who claim like we're the true church and we got the true teaching and like, yeah, I, I'm still wrestling with how to like navigate that. But, you know, I guess I'm because of my love for Jesus. I feel like this, this comes a, a part of it is that yeah. I have a big family. I got uncles and, and aunts and some uncles I don't like. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm like their family. I'm learning to like them. There's some who's that, like that dope grandpa who like, yo, I love this person. Yeah. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how I view the church. Um, and then there's like, okay. there's, there's traditions that I just, I'm finding out about. It's like those cousins that you didn't know you had, but you've been, you, you read about them, but you just didn't know that you were cousins. And I'm like, I feel like to me, that's the metaphor I like to use when thinking about the church where this is this large extended family under the rule of Jesus. So, okay. Okay. All right. So you've given the definition. Uh, what What is the church doing well where they're not getting the praise? Like like people are sleeping on the value of the church. And you'd like oh, yeah. to kind of call some of its merits to the forefront. And then after you, you know, you, you big them up, tell us where they need to tighten up because this critique is legit. Yeah. Um, so let's talk. I'll start with... Um, I'll start with what I think we're doing well. And I will say, like, I'm not really, I'm not really into like feeling like I have to promote what the church is doing well, because what mm-hmm. they're doing well, the people in those local contexts who are experiencing mm-hmm. that, they know, you know That's what I'm good. saying? That's and, good. and so, and so like, for me, like, I remember when I was young and I was like, there are no solid churches anywhere, you know, and I used to say stuff like that all the time. And then I would, you know, I remember I used to say, like, there are no solid black churches. Like, that was something that I used to say um, until oh, I found out how you, long you, I you was. You opened up a whole other episode. You, opened up, <laughs> you already said some things. Look, you already said some things when you talked about, you know, honoring the tradition of the elders and our ancestors. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to interject and say, man, you know, now there's some dissenters. There's some people that would say, you know, Christianity is a white man's religion. And our ancestors... Yeah. Uh, this is just, it was handed to them through slavery. And I wanted to, mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to poke you a little bit and have you talk on that, but that's going to be, we already an hour and 20 minutes into the call, but maybe I can have you on another episode. We talk about, cause I say, yeah. I say, I have said, um, and it really requires a lot of unpacking. People might take this soundbite and run with it, but I have said that I don't believe Christianity and its authentic expression or its original form was a white man's religion. I believe it was shaped by right. But I think the westernized American Christianity has become the white man's religion. Yeah. It has been weaponized. Uh, it has been used to mm-hmm. silence um, yeah. the, the oppressed, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, you know, and, and but it's something completely different. Almost, almost all the way back to what Frederick Douglass said about, you know, he loathed the Christianity of this land, but he knew that there was a distinction yeah. between the authentic expression and uh, what you see yeah. running around for him. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, I digress, man. Uh, let's get back. Let me get back to you. I'm, I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. Yeah. You were saying um, that. Uh, you know, go, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, man, there, there's so much that could be said. I mean, like, I, and what I hate to do is just name off a list of accomplishments because I can say, oh, you know, we started hospitals and you know, at risk for uh, you know things for at risk youth and like we're super yeah. generous when it comes to like we could do all that and I think that's yeah. That that could be done, um, but I think the things that the church does well and what we exist for most is to create a space for people to like to live into the genuine humanness, to experience healing, to learn to live life with God, and actually become a different kind of person, um, the type of person God has created us to be. And I think that is that is not as quantifiable as saying, "Look, we built this um, this uh, job core." or something like yeah. that, or we built these stores and shops and we built businesses. Like we could do that. You know, my church is doing yeah. that now. And I, I know a lot yeah. of churches. Um, but yeah. And so like, I feel like the, the things that we do well is the things that often will, will never make headlines. You know, people yeah. who, who are lonely are finding family and are finding care and are finding welcome um, and f- finding friends and are finding spaces where they're being rehumanized. And, you know, like, I, I was remember like a couple of years ago, I was talking with um, a guy who they're, they're living on mission in India and they're working with the sex trafficking industry and they're helping these women in a very, very difficult context, very oppressive context. They're, they're helping these women like come back to life. Like there's, there's no light in their eyes, but mm-hmm. they can't like broadcast it because it would ruin them. It would ruin yeah. them and it would like ruin what they're doing. And so I'm like, that's happening all the time. And so that's not going to get played. So for me, it's like to more so encourage followers of Jesus to like be faithfully committed to your context. Like Jesus says, wisdom is justified by your children. And so mm. to me, the greatest defense of the church is not us trying to promote ourselves, but, but us like being willing to be locally engaged, deal with the bumps and bruises of the terrible reputation we have and, and earn trust. And so that when people actually hear the church, they're at least say, well, at least these people right here are yeah. are not what I've experienced. And I find like that I find that to be more helpful than just trying to defend the Christian faith because after a while it just becomes a match of like, well I did this. Well y'all also did this. Well yeah. we did this. Yeah. We are, you know. True. Um True. but yeah but I think it's oh go ahead. Yes, please. Do, do you think um do you think the church uh has as a priority uh do you think one of their priorities do you, do you think they um, the, the church in general, um, you think there's this understand, this general understanding and agreement that uh, one of the objectives is to influence the culture, or is your observation that um, most times it's not to influence the culture, it's just to be content with creating the subculture? Um, I think, well, that. Yeah, I don't know if I can answer that. I can only I can say like right now, at least in the spaces I'm in, there tends to be like this desire to like shape culture and change culture mm-hmm. and transform culture. I'm I'm actually mm-hmm. not sure if that's like the primary calling of the church. Okay. Is to like to to do that. I think our primary calling is to simply be the church. To be an alternative 
society and alternative community. Because what I find is that we are like, I'm thinking of like, how can we speak to the rampant racism in our church, in the, in the country when it's so rampant in our churches? Like we have no alternative mm. to like bear mm. witness of, you know oh. what I'm saying? And so it's like, Bruh. we want to, we want to adjust toxic masculinity, but the ways that we're like, we are the ways that we engage men and women, like men and women in the church struggle to like relate to one another. You know, that's something that in my own community we've been working out is like, how do we like experience like communion with one another besides just seeing one another as a, as a threat to my purity. And Mm. we've been working and practicing that in my life group, uh, which is just what we call like our smaller groups in our church. And it's been wonderful. And I'm just like, yo, so many people don't know what this looks like. Like we can't, our our calling is not, is not primarily to try to, change everyone else but to bear witness to something that everyone's longing for and to invite people into that and of course that will have a an effect but it might not some people might say no i don't want that i'm cool with being who i am a womanizer or no this is just how things are you know you know because what happens is the church when we start trying to change things we end Mm -hmm. up utilizing the, the power structures of our culture, which is a top-down coercion approach, which is, I think, is antithetical to the way of Jesus, which wasn't coercive, which wasn't, we're going to get the government to kind of make things happen. Um, and I know that's a really difficult thing to navigate. Um, yeah. And that's why I'm thankful that it isn't up to me to, like, think it all, right? I'm just one guy a part of the church and I'm like, all right, how are we going to do it in my local context? Instead of like, yeah. I have to think about all the intricacies of that. Cause I, the, the more we go into it, the, the, the more difficult it is to talk about. We interrupt this episode to express our gratitude for your listenership. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a regular listener, we want to deepen our connection. There are a few ways to do that. First, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And of course, chances are that if you like the show, your friends will too. So be sure to post, share, and repost on all of your social media outlets. Also, don't be shy. Connect with Fred B on Twitter using the handle EdFredTalks, spelled Fred T-A-L-X. After you've completed those two steps, visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash fredtalks. Remember, talks is spelled T-A-L-X. And check out the multitude of ways for you to support. Lastly, if you enjoy the podcast version of Fred Talks, imagine how electric a live Fred Talks session would be. Sure, recordings are great, but... When it comes to value, there are some intangibles that require you to be in a live setting to get full impact. The goal is to begin online via the podcast and ultimately take the sessions offline to do the real work of providing solution-oriented motivational sessions to impact current and emerging leaders of all ages. To get more information about hosting a live Fred Talk session for your staff, students, members, send an inquiry to fredtalks.com to get the conversation started. That's all for now. Let's get you back to the show. I love your uh, sobriety and, uh, again, your humility as you approach this and your practicality. You know, you're like, look, man, 
it's kind of like uh, in the words of uh, the great minister, Jay-Z. No, I'm joking, but <laughs> Jay-Z, <laughs> you know, there's bigger problems in the world I know, but I first got to take care of the world I know. And you're like, look, man, right. I got to start local. Right. I got to, you know, so I love that, man. Hey, that's um, it. Yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> So you, uh, that was the inspired word of, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, so you threw out the term uh, toxic masculinity. You also talked about mm. things that are like power, the, the way power is welded is antithetical yeah. to the way Jesus handles power. So mm-hmm. that's a good way for me to pivot. That's a good place for me to pivot into talking about healthy masculinity, uh, how the church uh, either cultivates or inadvertently um, quenches masculinity, toxic mm-hmm. masculinity, all, all of these different things, man. How, how does let – me, let me try to pack this up neatly. How does, how does what you have learned or observed about masculinity, the gender scripts that you have learned about masculinity, how does it compare to what you see in Jesus? Um, as, as, as he models manhood and how, what role has the church played in shaping your idea of masculinity as well? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so, so matter of fact, re-ask the question again. Okay. I'm going to try. So, okay. So, I mean, you and I have had these conversations about, man, I'm unlearning some toxic, some ways of toxic masculinity, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes we pick these things up. It's culture, right? It's not something that was mm-hmm. uh, verbalized to us, but just an observation, just just the culture picked yeah. it up. I mean, when I got married, I realized, man, there's some chauvinism in here that was packed away mm-hmm. neatly that I didn't even know about until I got married. And I'm trying this stuff in yeah. marriage, and it don't work in real life like the elders and the deacons said it would, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And nor should it, right? Um, and mm-hmm. it shouldn't have worked. So there were some things that I picked up from church, not that they said it, but it's just like the old heads, the, gener- the elders, the, it's gener- just, it's the generation just there. before me. Yeah, it was just there. So I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody per se, right? I picked it up. Uh, but I learned it there. And then also society tells us that certain things are okay for men and other behaviors are not okay for men. They're more acceptable for women. So we're always learning. We're always picking up these, these scripts, these gender scripts, right? Mm-hmm. So how does what you've learned from either church or culture or church culture, how does that compare with what you actually see when you look and study and learn from Jesus? You know, he says, uh, take upon my yoke and learn of me. So when you have learned of him, yeah. what does his masculinity yeah. look like in comparison to other versions of masculinity? All right. Did that help? I feel great. like I still rambled. I, okay. All right. That was perfect. That was perfect. Um, okay. Yeah. So I think, um, when we when we talk about toxic masculinity, I at least for me, I we can't talk about it until we talk about the way we relate to power, um, and the way men have been taught to relate to power. So first and foremost, like in our culture, there's this there's this general pri- pri- priority of men and our perspectives um, and our position. Like there's this general deference to men, um, and women have to like. Like pretty much, there's like this expectation that that women exist for men. Um, hey, can I tell you right there real quick? Yeah, bro. When you said that, that is so real. Like, 
there is this general expectation. There's this tacit understanding. Maybe even not tacit, there's this explicit understanding in some circles that women exist for men. And you know what they rely yeah. on for that, man, is they, the whole idea of the help me or the help me. And mm-hmm. um, I can see to some degree, like in my earlier years, I bought into that. And I don't think anybody was being malicious, right? Um, I don't yeah. even think they were trying to, like, um, misconstrue the text. I think it was just where the emphasis was placed. People walk away yeah. with their own conclusions, right? Because now mm-hmm. I see if somebody's uh, going to help me, that means they won. Uh, they, I don't have all the answers or all the skills. They have something I don't have, and they have to have yeah. some type of advantage to add to me. But also when yep. you look at the uh, the Trinity, right, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, that same word helper uh, is the same uh, idea used when you're describing, like, your helpmate. You know, and so obviously the Holy Spirit yeah. isn't an inferior party, so neither should your mm-hmm. spouse be an inferior party, right? But yeah. I, I cringe now when I look back on how many sermons I sat under or even that I echoed, right, um, yeah. that that painted a picture where, hey, women, uh, uh, your ultimate calling, like you have no calling. Your calling is to help him fulfill his calling. That is, yeah. gosh, man, that hurts. That hurts. Yeah. When I think about my complicit, my complicity in that, how naive I was to buy into that. And, again, I'm not trying to say that somebody maliciously indoctrinated mm-hmm. me with that. I think it was just what I picked up on and maybe where I heard yeah. it. Like some other, you know. So, but anyway, go ahead, man. Uh, uh, yeah, and I think that's what the cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what we're getting at, toxic masculinity. Like, it's, it's women. It's a way that women have tried to name the particular ideological scripts that that men and that we've been given in our culture um that creates a particular type of man um and it's often done implicitly like but also like you said explicitly but yeah like some of the things that i've learned and just picked up on was that anything that make that makes a man weak or vulnerable has to be rejected um mm-hmm. which basically means that i live disconnected from my emotional life because it's deemed Come on. like as a as a woman thing um, and of mm-hmm. course, because women are seen as like, like generally less than or like weaker, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. things that seem to be like the strength of a woman are actually like to be rejected. Um, yeah. which is why we say like, stop acting like a girl or stop being a sissy or, you know, stop acting like a, you know, a bitch or whatever. And yeah. all that language is like, it's the, the, for them is like to be, is like to be a man is to reject them, like to, to reject qualities of a woman as inherently like problematic. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing just the devastating effects of that. I just watched a, uh, a documentary yesterday, um, called the mask we live in. And it was oh, talking about my therapist this was subject. talking about that video, man. Man, um, like it's crazy. It's crazy. It, it was just talking uh, like one thing that stood out was like men are seven. I think it's either five or seven times more likely to commit suicide than women. And mm. I'm just like, yo, toxic masculinity literally is killing us. Killing and it's men yeah. killing, killing themselves. Like men killing men, like men killing themselves, men killing women who don't, who, yeah. can, who tell them, no, I don't want to talk yeah. to you when they're walking by. Like it's, it's such a problem. Um, and, and we have, and, and then like, because like oftentimes when we talk about the church, the church pretty much takes, like I told my wife this yesterday, the church is um, the way we also often think of God 
it's like God is like a man. He's uh, violent. He's controlling. He's uh, deterministic. Um, he gets really angry when he doesn't get his way. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, yo, like the way we talk about God is so much like a man. But, and, and, yeah. and so for women, women are the ones who are submissive. They're weak. They're vulnerable. They don't always get their way. And so that's why we create this polar opposite. But then when we see Jesus, we don't see this person who's like con- controlling, like name what, like when I can't find an instance and I'm willing to be wrong where I see Jesus actually trying to make someone do something against their will. Right. right. And I never see Jesus having like this anxiety when people walk away from him or when he doesn't get his way. And mm-hmm. we see Jesus like lay, like he lays his life down. Like that's, that's what power looks like. It looks like love incarnate. That's power. Not, would you like, say, would you say there's control- a difference between oh, power and authority? Um, no, but mm-hmm. I would say we have to redefine what power means. So we think that okay. the, the, the world's definition, like the world's definition of power is getting your way and your ability to get your way at, at all costs. And it oftentimes ends in violence. But I think Christ crucified, we, we see a, a redefinition of power, right? Like in the scriptures, um, Paul says that the cross of Christ, like that is the power of God, where the power of God looks like love dying for your enemy, dying for people, laying your life down. Like, that's what power looks like. And yeah. so, so for us, like, as followers of Jesus and then as men, we have to, we can't just take the world's definition of power, throw it on God and say he has a lot of it. Um, we have to allow the cross of Jesus to redefine what power actually is and see, like, that's what he's actually calling me into. So as a husband, my power is not exerted by my ability to get my wife to do what I want or my ability to get my kids to do what I want. No, that's abuse. What yeah. power is, is me literally laying my life down for their flourishing, um, for our flourishing together with my wife. Like, that's what, that's what power looks like. Power and looks like my ability manhood. to... Yeah. That's what beautiful manhood, healthy manhood looks like, um, in my Absolutely. opinion. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's my ability to, to empty myself talking about toxic masculinity we were talking about Jesus mm-hmm. and how how he um how his what his relationship with power was versus how you know people are tempted to use power now you talked about what it looked yeah. like in family how you relate to your wife yeah. how you relate to your children you said one thing you said you were looking at stats that show men are more likely to commit suicide in comparison to yeah. women and you mm-hmm. said and I agree with that uh toxic masculinity is literally killing us and I would go further to say it's not killing, it's not just killing men, right? But it's the killing, it's a, it's a slow death that starts even as children. Like if I don't check yes. toxic masculinity yes. in myself, then I'm going mm-hmm. to diminish the, the male identity in my son. Like he's going to already grow up with yes. problems if I don't get it under control, yeah. you know? Um, 
but 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 continue on, man. I think you have some 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 more to say on that topic. I don't want to I don't want to short circuit short short circuit where you were going with that. Yeah, so I'll just jump on what you just said about your role as a father. Um, like so, for me, engaging toxic masculinity um, can't simply just be like looking at stats and, uh, but it has to be like kind of reckoning with how it has shaped me as a person. Um, and I, I remember when I got married, I realized that I, I didn't have, I didn't have very many relationships with women who I weren't like attracted to. Right. Um, that most, like most women growing up, I was only like, I, I gave most of the, my attention and energy to ones I was attracted to. Um, right. and I think that really, really made it difficult for me to be friends with women. And mm-hmm. because again, like women are like, they exist for me and they exist for my ego. And, and so I'm going to, of course, spend my energy with the ones who, who make me feel good about myself. Right. Um, and, and then there's like the narratives of, and we hear, we've been hearing this since we were little, like, you know, big boys don't cry and uh, men are not like the only emotions. And there were a lot to express publicly is like anger and, and passion yeah. and ambition and, and, and sexual desire. Um, and we're not allowed to cry. We're not allowed to be sad. You know, we have to toughen and up the problem and just push with that, through. Man, the problem with that is we get married and we don't have access. We don't know how to access the whole yep. emotional wheelhouse that we were wired with. Like we have suppressed it for so long. We, we don't even know. Like I remember when I got married, man, in the first year, maybe even second year, I would be walking around kind of like figuratively speaking, I would be like pouting. I'd be in my feelings and I wouldn't even be aware of it. Um, yeah. And then my wife would pick up on it um, because she, her emotional intelligence is a lot higher. She'd be like, what's your problem? Like you, you giving off this bad vibe. And it would be like two or three days later where I'm like, Oh, you know what? Yeah. Something was bothering me. But like mm-hmm. I before I even identified something was bothering me, then I had to find the vocabulary for it. And yep. then I had to muster the courage to be vulnerable enough to yep. share with her. Like, it's a lot of labor where this probably comes a little bit more naturally. I don't want, I don't want to be too broadly, too broad when I say it comes naturally for women. Cause I mean, I'm sure they've had their own challenges, yeah. but it's, I would say it's compounded. Yeah. The problems compounded or exacerbated for men. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things the documentary said is that for women, um, they're not allowed to be angry in public. Um, Especially black I was listening especially black women. Like I was listening to a podcast on this subject and they said that when men are angry or we're just passionate, you know, but, but when women, when women are angry, they're a bitch. Um, They're just, they're not, they're not allowed to be angry. And, and so that's why like they cry or they do other things. And, you know, and then for us, like, that's just being a woman, but then men, like we're allowed to like fly off the handle, be violent. Like, you know, he just cares, you know, just give him his space or whatever. And yeah. it's, it literally is eating us alive. And like you said, it's, I, I feel like, especially this year and maybe a little bit before that, I'm, I'm, I've begun living connected to like my interior life um, and, and not like being scapegoating myself as like, oh, I'm just like a logical person. It's like, yeah. no, like, no, you're just disconnected from your emotions and you think you can bypass it through your logic, but your desires and your emotions, those things are what's driving you. Um, you just don't know it. And you buried it. You know, and, yeah. That, that, that brings up two things. When I, um, I remember my first, uh, my first uh, 
therapy session, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was I was skeptical. Um, I thought I was like, I'm just going to I'm willing to entertain it, right? I didn't really expect to derive much value from it. And as the guy was talking, and I think to be honest with you, I had a lower estimation of it because it was Christian counseling, only because I was like, well, they're only going to be coming from one book. They're only going to be coming from one source. And I'm pretty well acquainted with that book. So in my arrogance, I'm like, well, they're just going to quote some scriptures. They're going to pray. I can pray. That, that's kind of what I thought, right? Yeah. Um, but he kept saying something. He said, Fred, you're really cerebral. Like, so you're headstrong. You know, intellectually, you got all this information. You, you enjoy that. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because of what you just said. But he said, um, yeah. where your head is strong, your heart is probably trying to compensate for your, the weakness of your heart. And I said, who yeah. needs? I said, who needs a strong heart? I can hear Tina Turner. Is that Tina Turner? Who needs wow. a heart when a heart can be broken? But <laughs> who needs a strong heart, though? Is what I was like, man, I'm just trying to achieve these goals. I'm just trying to do X, Y, Z. I was so task-oriented. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he said, listen, it's out of the issue. Guard your heart with all diligence. Because yeah. out of it yeah. comes the issues of life. And I was just yeah. like, whoa, okay. I got to get my heart right. I got Like you said, I got to be more in tune with my interior. So, so what are yeah. you doing to be more mindful of your interior? Yeah. Um, so when it, there's this concept. Um, it's an old concept. You ever heard of a Kairos moment? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. And so yeah. just for yeah. the listeners, um, Kairos is, is, a, is a Greek word for time. Um, that doesn't, that is, doesn't mean like linear time, which is like, chronology um, Mm -hmm. or chronological time rather, but like Mm -hmm. moment of time. Um, It's like opportune moment to like respond. And like, so a Kairos moment is like when things are happening in your life and it provokes like this deep emotional response in you, um, you actually pay attention to your emotions and then you, you begin to like dig and you begin to ask yourself questions. Why did I respond that way? You know, why does what this person said make me so angry or why do I feel pain here? And you're, you're willing to like, Sit with it, be present to it, ask those types of questions, and kind of get to the root issues. Um, and and that's the thing that I've just begun doing um, is learning how to just be present um, yeah. when things affect me, whether joyous um, or moments of fear. Like here's an example. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I had a son, and that yeah, I have a son. But when I found out I was having a boy, and I'm a, I know you've seen the post. I'm putting, I'm putting Facebook posts, how happy I am. But what I didn't put, put was there was a moment where I had like a, a, a subtle fear of like being too excited because I was like, what if my wife loses the baby? You know, yeah. it was just like that. What if, you know, yeah. and I was like, maybe yeah. I should just calm it down just a little bit. Right. And, yeah. and I was almost willing to risk like being present to the moment, actually experiencing real genuine joy because of fear. And yeah. what I typically would do, I would just stuff it and be like, you know, oh, I would just, I would just kind of succumb to it. Be like, yeah, you know what? I probably should just chill. But instead, I was right. like, no, what am I afraid? What am I afraid of? And of course, yeah. I'm afraid of like losing my son. And even, even part of it was like embarrassment of like being all excited right. and then like, and then it's not happening. Um, yeah. And I began to just take that to God and just be honest with him, with it. And like, I just had this sense like, yo. God, if that if that was to happen, I don't know. God's going to meet me there. Um, God, yeah. God's going to meet me in my grief, um, and He'll yeah. He'll bring comfort there. Um, but right now, that's not what 
that's not the situation. What what's now well, is right you have now. good news that you yeah. have a son, right? That's, and so I was like, oh. yeah. Yeah, and so I was like, you know what? No, like I have good news that if that was to happen, God's going to meet me. I don't have nothing yeah. to be afraid of. Like I can trust mm-hmm. that if that was to happen, God would meet me in grace and truth, and he would come for me, and I would cry. Let me just, let me just add to what you were saying, man, about you said, you know what? Yeah. In this moment, I have a reason to celebrate, and I'm not going to yeah. allow something to rob me of that. So, yeah. you know, in the words of Jesus, tomorrow will have sufficient evil of its own. Like that's mm-hmm. red letters, man. Tomorrow's gonna have problems. You 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 require this celebration that you can steal for right now so that you can endure tomorrow. This is the conversation I have with myself. Like, Fred, you need this moment of relief. You need this ce- yeah. celebration so that you don't buckle under the pressure of tomorrow. You know what I mean? And um yeah. I got a situation going on at home that really um took the family by surprise. And you know what? I've had to just, as a mantra, just kind of say, you know, I will be okay. I have, I have also had to relinquish my control of any particular outcome. And uh, my prayer, it's like, you know what? I'm seeing the wisdom in the serenity prayer, to be honest with you. I, I know mm-hmm. I like to read theological books, but I mean, that book, that, that, that prayer right there, like, yo, just grant me the wisdom. I only want to focus on things that I can control. And I'm becoming awake. I'm awakening to the fact that I have very little control over much. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So whatever comes tomorrow, I will have the benefit of this full 24 hours of being present and experiencing all that today has. I'll have the benefit of all of that I learned here to bring into my tomorrow. And I will deal with that just like I've dealt with things, uh, yeah. you know, before. And then also I'm learning like, man, the highs and the lows, like all of that makes a beautiful masterpiece. Like you can't just have highs. You have to have the lows to be a balanced, whole, full human and live a full, full human experience. Or else you're going to be out of touch with everything, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Um, all that to say, amen to what you were saying, man. How are you recovering? What are you doing to learn healthy masculinity? Do you have people that check you when you say things that are out of bounds? Are you listening to women more? Uh, are there certain books you recommend? Uh, what's the product? What's, what's, what are you doing? What's the work you're doing? Yeah, man, that's, that's good. I, I think, um, the first thing for me, like was for one, I ha- just trusting that, that God will meet me like in this space of like dealing with like just how I've been negatively shaped by our culture. Um, because if, if I'm afraid of God, um, I think that's one of the biggest things if I'm afraid of God, or if God is not able to handle like my brokenness, then I, I would really struggle to to really go deep and really see just how jacked up I am. And I guess I've this this past year I've begun to trust that God will meet me where I really am, and that's freed me to be vulnerable. That's freed me to like I remember I was having a conversation with some of my sisters, and and they've been a huge help, right? Like a lot of people, even in black churches, they lament how there's not like a lot of men, but there's a lot of women. And I'm like, look, yeah. that is a blessing. That is yeah. a blessing because now we get to learn from women. We get to like practice mutual submission. We get to listen. We get to like sit at their feet and be like, yo, help us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like, I don't just need men to disciple me. I need women. I need your perspective. I need you guys to speak into my life. Um, 
to help me think things through. And we, we've created a, a community of trust where I'm able to confess things that are just probably like, they're just problematic. You know, like uh, yeah. I'm, I'm exposing myself, but I'm, I'm, I feel free and crazy to do that. And I, I, okay. I uh, mentioned, I mentioned that I was like, I don't think most uh, women comedians are funny. And they were just like, you said you, you don't think what you said you don't think what I said, like most comedians who are women, like I don't find them funny. Oh, okay. and and I told him, I said, like, honestly, for some reason, I'm not even attracted to women who are like kind of like nerdy funny. And oh. and I and I, I said, I don't know if that's a problem or not, but I feel like part of it has to do with just the fact that most comedians that I've grown up like are just men. And so, like, there's a particular image of a woman that I think has value, and so sure. I just don't find them funny. And just sure. the, the fact that I have a community that I can, like, confess that to and say, I don't know if it's good or bad, but this is a thought I had. And I'm just like, maybe that isn't necessarily, like, a good thing. I don't know. But I could actually submit that to women and say, like, what are your thoughts on that? You know? Yeah. And because I could, like, I know, like, conceptually i'm like oh yeah down with you know toxic masculinity and yeah i'm not for patriarchy but that mm -hmm. stuff lives in my bones you know it lives in my body it's not just something that is a concept but it's it's something that i've been living in it's something i've been formed in and so yeah. i need to like lay it on the table i have to name it and be present to it with people and so for me primarily mm -hmm. it's about being in, in relationships with women who are wise enough gracious enough to actually speak into that and a place where I can practice those healthy relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Like when, when my son was born, two of my sisters um, uh, were in the room with me and my wife when my wife was pushing out the baby. And when my son was born, I'm bawling all tears. <laughs> like I'm crying hard. And they're, they're right there with me. Like yeah. They're with me in that space when me and my wife, all four of us are crying. Like their, their arms around me and my wife. And I'm just like, yo, like that was, that's a forever life-changing moment for me. Like there was such, and then two of my brothers were outside. And then when they, uh -huh. you know, the baby was all cleaned up, they came inside, we're all like crying. And I'm like, yo, I wouldn't have been able to do this. Like maybe when my, my first child was born, um, like with those people in the room. And really? so I'm already, but this is just yeah, your I'm sister already, and wife, right? Sisters and no, wife. No, no, no. Yeah, but so when I mean my sisters and I call them sisters, they're not like biological sisters. They're oh. not they're sisters in law. Like they're sisters just in our church. Like I've I only known you. them for like yeah, I've known them for less than a year. Gotcha. Um, well, a gotcha. year, one of them a year, and then one a less less than a year. And so even the two guys who were outside the room, they're not my actual like biological brothers. I've known them for one year. Gotcha. And okay. we're like, and it was the the vulnerability and intimacy was so intense because of the moment and I felt so comfortable in it. And yeah. that's because of like a, a year, like we have been practicing like friendship and intimacy. We've been talking about it. We've been deconstructing like how we tie sex and intimacy together to where like men can be intimate. And I feel like I've been able to practice that with my brothers. And it's just been like, I'm like, yo, I just started and I'm already seeing how I've become, like how I've been healed. I'm like, what if, like, this is how life's supposed to be. I'm like, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface, but it's been, it's been yeah. beautiful. It's been beautiful. That's awesome, man. So, so, so <coughs> probably my last question, because uh, I'm yeah. trying to squeeze all the juice out of you that I can get, 
I appreciate you being <laughs> so free and generous on the call. Um, yeah. My last question, and then after that, I'm going to ask you to plug your blog, plug anything that we uh, can and should be looking out for or support you in. Uh, where can we find you and things like that? But so as you're doing the work, right, and you're deconstructing the ideas of toxic masculinity, what is your wife's feedback? Has she noticed, um, or because maybe it's so early in the process, uh, it hasn't, you know, hasn't shocked her yet? What would she say? And I, I know I'm asking you to speak for her. That's only because she's not on the call. But what has she said, or what do you think yeah. she would say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think she's noticed. She's named it. You know, she's named it on numerous occasions. Just like, man, like, like uh-huh. now I'm I'm able to name it, own it, and even submit it to her. So I'm not like saying like this is, you know, I'm not like I'm submitting like my pain to her. Um, even things that are embarrassing, even things I'm just like, that's like, how could you think like that? You know, yeah. I'm like I'm finding this freedom. Um, because I, I believe I'm loved by God and I believe that like union with people is like the heart of what it means to be human. And that the only way forward is to, is in vulnerability and weakness. And so she's seen that, think that like she's already named like, man, like, I don't know what God is doing to you, but I'm, I'm grateful. So one time she told me something, right. And I was like, oh yeah, I know. Um, and then like literally a couple minutes later, I was like, yo, I, I really apologize for that. Um, uh, because you're not trying to school me, you know, like when I'm like just being petty and somebody shares something new, I'm, I'm thinking like, Oh, I already know that. But I'm like, no, mm-hmm. like, like you weren't trying to like school me. You were trying to connect. With me. You were just trying to share something that you learned. It was meaningful. And you're trying to connect. And I was like, yeah, please forgive me. And like, just those little things like make mm-hmm. a world of difference in a marriage, especially like, yeah, especially in a marriage. I think in all relationships, when our aim is to connect um, with people, to live in union, yeah. to live in communion with one another. And man, yeah, I feel like it's, it's radically re- changed the way I relate to my kids where I'm both, yeah. I'm both discerning when I'm just becoming like, I'm just worried about efficiency and getting things done. And when I'm mm-hmm. trying to connect, you know, I have two daughters who I'm still learning. Like, like I feel like I have a really great connection with them, but I'm like, I got a lot to learn with, yeah. with them. And, and they, and they help me. Kids definitely help you learn how to be vulnerable because kids can, can tell when you're fake. How old is your oldest um, daughter? She's six. She's six. Okay. 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 Yeah. So you got a lot yeah. of time to, to catch up. So so that's good, right? Yeah. Catching each other. Yeah. 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 Um, Man. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I, for the most part, I think I've done a really good job with like connecting with my children um, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I think I've always found it easy to connect with children. And I feel like maybe it's because children, they allow you to like be playful and like just be unashamed about being in your own skin because they are. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like children have always kind of brought that out of me in a little bit, in, in little ways. Yeah. Definitely my children. Uh, but I feel yeah, like now like that I'm being more in... Go ahead. It's like their liberty that they walk in liberates yeah. whoever's engaging them. Yes. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect way, man. That's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's it. Like you can't demand vulnerability from people. You can only be vulnerable and then invite people into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what children do. Like children and their radical honesty, like kids just name what they want. I love like my, my kids 
that I work with because they just name what they want with no shame. And they're, mm-hmm. they're teaching me how to do that. They're just like, I'd be like, hey, it's time to go use the bathroom. I don't want to use the bathroom. I don't want to. I want to keep playing with this toy. And I'm just like, yeah. you know, and one sense I can be like, who, who, who's the teacher here, right? I can power right. up and be like, hold up now, son. Or, yeah. you know, I can, I can connect to, like, the fact that he has one. And I can respect it, even as I yeah. try to lead him to it. Like, I know you don't want to do this right now, but we're getting ready to go outside, you know. Right. But those types of interactions really train me to be like, you know what? I can have one, too. Doesn't mean I always get what I want, but now yeah. I'm actually connected to it. By being connected to yeah. it, I'm able not to be controlled by it, and I'm able to relate to people in a healthier way. So, so you said I can have wants too. Doesn't mean I always get what I want. I'm going to use that to close this out. I saw that you, yeah. um, man, I think you have actually two additional blog posts uploaded. But you, you wrote a recent blog. You published a recent blog about mm-hmm. um, dealing with your wants, right? Um, tell yeah. us. Again, uh, I know you mentioned it in the previous uh, session. Tell us how we can find your blogs, how we can stay plugged in, uh, what are some 2019 goals or things that we should look out for coming from you, um, and where can we find you on Twitter, all your social media that where you want to be accessed. Tell us how we can access Yeah. yeah. Um, so my blog is just Michael Gonzalez, Z, uh, ending with a Z, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z.org. Um, it's a new blog, started in October. Um, you can follow me at Twitter, S Gonzo, G-O-N-Z-O 88. That was my nickname growing up, Gonzo, because uh, my last name is Gonzalez, obviously. Um, I, I actually, I'm working on an ebook on, mm. um, like, the gospel and just trying to give people a better story besides um, God is holy, you're a sinner, you deserve judgment, but Jesus took it. Right. Like, I think that's just such a such a misunderstood way of thinking about the gospel, um, which is what we call the good news. Um, the whole point of like what the Bible is about. I think there's a better way of telling that story. Um, and and I've, there's lots of books out there. I just don't know if a lot of my friends will read it because of who the authors are or because they're just not like in their tribe. And so right. I want to create something that is accessible to people who who may not want to read a Brian Zahn. Or something like that. I'm like, you know what? They need to know this story. They need to know that the story is so much better than an angry God who has to like kill his son in order to like love someone like you. Like that's just an angry God with anger issues. Like he has yeah, to hit the like, wall or he has to hit the sun. That's penal suffering yeah, like, theory, right? Yeah, that's is that's that, a type of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's okay. basically yeah. in and of itself. Like, that's a that's a type of of talking about that. And yeah. I just think that I think that really, really gets off because it makes God's anger like primary where he has to like kill, yeah. but he doesn't have to save. And so like punishment is more fundamental to the character of God mm, in that he story. Has to kill, but he doesn't have, have to save. Wow. Yeah. Like, and so that's more fundamental to the character of God and that, and that way of telling the story. And I think there's a better way that can yeah. hold like God taking sin seriously and evil seriously. He's not just like, oh, I don't care. Kill people, rape people, oppress people, enslave yeah. people. I don't care. Like that. Yeah. I, I think that's not the route we want to go either. But it's yeah. he's just super angry because you've offended him. I'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot, man. I haven't done this with any of my guests, and um, I don't know that this is gonna be a custom because, like, I'm not just trying to talk to the choir, but I just feel compelled, man. Would you um, close us out with a prayer? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Word up. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Father, you are love. Um, you've revealed yourself in Jesus. Um, it's in Jesus that we, we know what you were like. Um, I pray for uh, Fred. I pray for the listeners that, that, that you would, that, that we would be convinced that you are for the world, um, that, that you are for us, um, that you're not against us, um, and that you are, you are always present at work to heal and restore and renew all things. And that, that, that you're always inviting us into that, um, that you're never looking to push us away. Um, and so I pray you help us to, to trust in you that no matter where we're confused, that we don't have to have perfect theology. We don't have to have you figured out in order to like live in union with you. Um, and so I pray you would just help us to trust that, to live in that, um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. My brother, man, it was a pleasure. I want to have you back when the ebook comes out, but that's not to say that we got to wait till then. Um, I also and just like that, it's a wrap. Another episode for the archives. Do you like it? Do you feel it, though? Did anything resonate with you? Did it motivate you? So now what? What are you going to do about it? What's your next move? Share your thoughts by emailing fredtalx at mail.com or connect on Twitter at fredtalks, spelled Fred T-A-L-X. Tune in next time for some more gems.